unfortunately, not often enough women don't speak up for themselves. They don't advocate for themselves. They're givers. And it's not easy to say no. And it's not easy to accept and to receive. I'm lucky that I guess that I'm courageous and I'm kind of grounded and rooted. I believe in myself and I just want to encourage other women or inspire other women. If they're happy where they are, that's like fantastic. But if there's something that's kind of nagging at them in the back of their head, whether it's their career or their lifestyle, their love life, whatever it is, I just want them to know that life is too short. It's too precious and you don't have to settle. Yes, the music intro is a little different for this episode. That was the work of my guest today, Morgana, a marketing and development executive turned DJ, music curator, and sound bath producer. But I will tell you, Morgana and her career transformation encompass so much more than her pivot and titles. Welcome back. I'm Krista Laurie. This is Bucketless Careers. Thanks for joining me. Morgana and I met at one of my gigs not too long ago. You remember I sing in a band. And we instantly connected, clearly sharing the belief that music makes our lives so much richer. For Morgana, the only thing she loves more than music is sharing it with others with a goal to transport the listener to some sexy and exotic destination with a particular passion for progressive, ethno-world, tribal fusion, techno, jazz, and deep house. A very different world than where she started out professionally. So how did she pull off her reinvention? Always what we dig into here in this podcast. We talk also about how she transferred her business skills to developing herself, marketing, and growing as a DJ in midlife. In a field where women are underrepresented, currently about 32% of DJs are women, according to CareerExplorer.com. And that statistic, well, it's part of what Morgana hopes to change. Let's get you listening. Hope you enjoy. Morgana, I'm thrilled to be doing this with you. Welcome to Bucket List Careers. Thank you so much, Krista. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I think we should start by telling listeners how we met because obviously it's music related and I felt something about our energy, I will say. And it's odd how that happens sometimes, right? So my son's band was performing in that showcase, a School of Rock Mamernick showcase. And actually, my adult performance group also played that night. Yeah, you guys rocked it. (laughs) Oh, that's kind. I I think, you know, my son son is so much better than me. It's fantastic. (laughs) So that's how this all got started. And of course, we're here, Morgana, to delve into your path and learn from it, how you figured out that elusive formula, getting paid for what brings you the most joy. Mm -hmm. So you left advertising after two decades exiting the corporate world. What initially attracted you to it? And then we'll get into your pivot. I guess what attracted me initially, and I didn't realize that this at the time, but kind of in retrospect, I realized that what attracted me to the ad business, which is what I got into originally after college, to me, it was like the perfect intersection of like a very creative and kind of whimsical and very charismatic feel, but it was also very business related. So it was like this intersection of business and creativity that I think attracted me because inherently 
I seem to embody both traits. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. So I have that kind of business sense and that drive to kind of strike out on my own and, and really take ownership of a project. Yeah. But I also enjoy being in a creative environment and being with creative individuals. I tend to just gravitate toward musicians and artists just in general in like my personal life. So that worked for a while. And then it's hard to put my finger on it, but you know, I had I had been searching for for a while for something more creative. And I think I may have mentioned that I had taken some classes at FIT and was interested in starting like a vintage inspired children's clothing line. But then I realized, well, that market is like completely <laughs> saturated, I think you had said. Yeah. Saturated is the word I was looking for. Thank you. So and then a few other things I kind of entertained and but then it really hit me when, funny enough, when I went to see the movie Bohemian Rhapsody and, you know, Queen was like part of my my life's soundtrack. It was just everywhere and it was on the bus and everywhere in my life as a kid. But, you know, I wasn't like a diehard fan. But then when I saw the movie, I was so taken by Freddie Mercury and his presence and his creative genius. And he had such flair and such passion for life. And I was just like, wow. Totally. So he really struck me as a persona, but kind of woke something up inside of me. And it took me back to my formative years as a child. And I, re I remembered how important music has always been in my life. And I discovered at an early age that for me, it was almost like I loved it and I had to be around it all the time. But it was also like a performance enhancer for me. So as a kid mm. with a passion for tennis and I'd be out there... <laughs> on the chords. And I remember bringing my, my boom box out there once upon a time. And it just like, I felt like superwoman. I felt like wonder woman. And it just kind of carried that through my life. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm working out, everything I do revolves around music and it always has. And so somehow it just, it was latent. It was always there, but I just kind of repressed it because I was doing other things. And I seemed like I was on this other track, but then something about that movie and about him as a persona just it just triggered something. It lit it. It, it. it reignited that fire and that passion. So it wasn't immediately obvious what I wanted to do and how I wanted to direct my energies, but I knew I wanted to get into the music business. So then I went on this journey and I started interviewing music executives, all walks of life, from radio promotion to festival producers to people in, you know, that were like booking agents and just just trying to figure out the landscape kind of paint a picture of what was going on out there. And then how would I plug myself in based on my skill set, my experience, my passions, you know, what I really wanted to do. And so Sure. You're obviously talking about how you came to this realization and honing in on a passion for music and saying, okay, a little later in life too, which I always think is relevant and important to say to yourself, I'm okay to reinvent now. Why am I done, right? With a capital D. So you got to that point, but then you went into this research mode, which is so smart. How did you connect with all those people? Because that's really the first step of your transformation. It really was, yes. I was fortunate that, you know, I'm kind of a professional networker. So it was just friends of friends, or if I knew, mm -hmm. I just started telling people, which is what you want to do when you're networking. For example, if you want to get a new job or you want to shift gears and get into another industry, it's all about networking and it's all about telling pretty much everybody you know your your desires and your dreams. And like, and then you never know who they're gonna know. So I just started doing that and just kind of laying it on the table and saying, this is maybe a little nuts, but this is what I want to do. And <laughs> and so, yeah, I just relied on friends and friends of friends is like six degrees. And then that friend would put me in touch and you know how it works. It's just infinite. It just kind of ripples out. Yeah. And did one person actually say to you, what about DJing or how did you narrow it down to that? No, in fact, what they asked me was like, why do you want to be in this business? And I was like, cause it's fun. I mean, I think, right. And they're like, Ugh. so be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> no, the idea of DJ, DJing didn't take hold of me until actually I took my son to a 
It's called Woodward. It's a, a mm-hmm. skateboard camp out in Western Pennsylvania, out in Amish country. We went out in there in the summer of 218 and there was this DJ booth and it was empty all week. And it was killing me because I'd never DJed, but I just, <laughs> every time I walked by, I was like a little kid in a candy shop. I was just looking in there longingly and like imagining and this 200 acre campus with all these skate parks and ninja courses and all this crazy stuff. I thought, I just want to do this. So it took me a few years, but then uh, I ended up taking DJ classes just before COVID and then mm-hmm. getting my equipment and kind of getting myself geared up and interviewing DJs. So at that point, I kind of honed in, you know, I set my sights on that. So I just started interviewing any DJ I could meet or anybody that knew somebody that was a DJ. So this past August, it was really a special occasion because I took my son back to the camp. I'd been back already a couple of times by myself because it was just so fun. <laughs> you want to go to camp? Me yeah, too. <laughs> what's not to love? It's like skateboarding, BMXing. I'm a rollerblader. So like I took advantage of that and it's a fun community. So he and I went back, long story short, and I actually had the good fortune of DJing that week for the whole camp and the campers. And it was just like, ah. it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to kind of bring that full circle because that was kind of the inspiration and the impetus. And so it did come full circle this past summer. But my first gig was October of 220 during COVID, actually. That was my first public appearance. That was pretty, pretty amazing. Well, tell me about that. Because I mean, I think the toughest part about getting out there for the first time, obviously, involves fear of failure or being judged or whatever, but also just not being a kid. I love that you did this in midlife. How did you get past that? And I will mention to you that I don't know if you noticed, but my very first episode was with a DJ just like you. Oh, wow. Who went to a place called Scratch Academy in New Uh York City in her 40s. Yep, I know it. Kids. She had been a stay-at-home mom for a while in Connecticut and was like, this isn't enough for me. And, you know, she said she walked in and she just like these people look like her nieces or, you know, maybe even her kids. That was hard. That level of intimidation. I'm sure you felt something of that. And how did you get past it? The age thing has never, it's never been an issue. I see it as a state of mind. And I just actually, I feel like I can leverage my years of experience and, you know, working in advertising. I'm not going to lie. It can be stressful. You have pitches, you're working under the gun on deadlines. So my daughter was a performer. I guess I've just been kind of accustomed to dealing with pressure and like, not that I've been a performer per se, but just kind of in that world of ballet and performance and violin and concerts and Carnegie Hall, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I was nervous, but it was, it was, I was excited. I had the butterflies. I remember rehearsing that afternoon and I hired a lighting crew and I hired a camera crew because it's a beautiful venue. It's like this three-story venue that is just gorgeous with a big mezzanine where I was. And I just like, you know what, I'm in this amazing venue. So I want to take advantage of it. And I just brought in all the the guns. (laughs) Your big guns. yeah. And my big guns. Yeah. So it just never was an issue for you. It's almost like you didn't even have to overcome anything. Well, you know what she also said, and I wonder if you feel this way too. It's like, you're such a different brand. It's a different audience. And what you bring to the table is singular, I think, in that regard. What is your musical style? So while I tell everybody I truly love, I mean, I say I love music. It's hard to say that and not love everything. Yeah. And I do with with a few tiny, tiny exceptions, you know, but I pretty much do. But what I, my true passion, what I really love to play, I guess I would describe as progressive ethno world music. But it's it's not just like folk or Middle Eastern or Indian or African. It's it's infused with a modern kind of 
techno, you know, it's got an edge to it. So in the same song, you're going to have something that's very organic and earthy and there's percussion and, but it's also rooted in technology. So it's like this hybrid. Yeah. That sounds incredible actually. I mean, and I know you've been asked to DJ a festival upstate this summer with about 700 people and you're planning to go on tour in Morocco. You told me and possibly Turkey. How hard is it to get those kinds of international gigs? Well, we're finding out. I mean, actually, at this point, I'm going to be looking for an agent. And I think that'll really, really help me with the international gigs. Well, there are a couple of different opportunities. There's a festival that I'm going to be involved with, but then there's one that I'm actually co-producing up in Dutchess County in September. It's a wellness festival. Music is a component, but we'll also have you know other facets of healthy living and yoga and meditation and things like that, camping. I guess in terms of the international piece, that's that's the next piece of the puzzle is to engage a, an agent. Nice. Because I don't I don't know how you can finesse that otherwise. <laughs> I mean you can, but I mean it's there's a lot to orchestrate. You know, there's a lot. That's the next piece. For me it is. Yeah. I mean, this is like serious. This is not just a hobby. This is not just like this is something that I'm pursuing in a very serious way. So I'm mapping out marketing plans and strategies for clients for years. And now I'm actually crafting one for myself and like short term, long term, you know, what are my goals and how am I going to get there? So uh-huh. I, I pretty much know what I have to do, but then I, I am seeking out kind of some counsel from other DJs that I, you know, that are where I want to be. So I've been kind of like yeah. checking in with them. That's the beauty of social media. I have to say, it's been amazing that I can have a direct dialogue with a DJ from Turkey or Serbia or Costa Rica or, you know, somebody that's somewhere else, somewhere that I want to be. And I'm kind of tracking them and saying, okay, how do I get to where you are? And, you know, we can have these like really healthy, like really helpful dialogues and that's invaluable, you know, and they're responsive. Yeah. You couldn't be more right about that. Looking at the positives of social media, they do exist in terms of networking and business and scaling up. And I also just wanted to know what you mentioned in terms of your strategic plan, how well you've been able to transfer your skills. I mean, 20 years in business, like development, marketing, branding has obviously given you the skill set that you need to do this. So if someone wants to try to get something like this off the ground, where do they start? What is, would you say, your biggest takeaway from what you've experienced? It does help to speak to DJs initially just to get a sense, because I think people have this perception And it also depends on honestly, what kind of DJ you want to be. Do you want to be a wedding DJ? And like, do you want to just do events like that? That's not my cup of tea, but I mean, that's what you want. It can be very lucrative. It can be very steady. Right. I guess you have to either have an innate sense already, or you have to speak to a few different ones and, and feel them out and see what, like you said, lights you up, what makes you happy. And how would you define your niche, by the way? Well, I mean, I consider myself a new age DJ, so I can get people to dance. I can mess with techno and EDM and Deep House, like nobody's business. But like what I really like to do is bring people into more of a a Zen state of mind. And just like, I just did an ecstatic dance, my first one a couple of weeks ago. Okay. I've had people like compliment me and say, oh, that was, you know, thank you for your healing music. So, I mean, I'm trying to take people kind of to a different place. But if they dance, that's that's amazing because that is one expression of joy and complete and you know inhibition and just being completely free. So you'd say that's one step deciding on what type of DJ you want to be. 
Well, yeah. What kind of music? It's funny because as I was during COVID and, you know, in isolation, I had lots of time to be listening to music and kind of curating my own sound, you know, my own unique brand and what, what's my sound. So I, I, when I was crafting that and kind of honing it and like finding it and tweaking and calibrating the marketer in me said, okay, great. So now, you know, the brand of Morgana, mm-hmm. what she's all about, what she likes to play, what's going to really set her apart. Who are my people? Like where, where who's my target? Yeah. And I didn't even really realize that they already existed out there. And then I was introduced to the Burning Man community. And I realized by and large, that was kind of this captive audience. And it, and what I quickly also discovered was that it wasn't about an age or demographic. It was really more of a, a mindset. Cause I mean, I, I'll have people come up to me after a set and there'll be 22 years old and like, Oh my God, I love your music. And then there'll be somebody who's 57 years old. <laughs> so it doesn't, it runs the full gamut. I feel like it resonates with people. And I guess that's what gave me the courage that first gig, because I had done house parties and I had done some, you know, some little things here and there. And we'd also done a rehearsal in that space. And the woman that booked me and, you know, she, I thought she was going to open the space for me and turn the lights on. And I was just going to do a run through. And that was it. Well, unbeknown to me, she invited a handful of our friends and like, they were having a great time. So I guess I just felt kind of buoyed and like encouraged by people's responses to what I've, what I had been playing and it just continues. So it just fuels the the fire and it just feels, it just feels really good to get that kind of validation even though it's like so fulfilling for me in and of itself. But of course, you have to be mindful of your audience and you have to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, if you're being hired and whatever the, the task is, if it's like, if it's a club and I, you know, I did a club in Chelsea last month and it was a Friday night and it's like, okay. <laughs> so you have to be a little flexible. And, you know, there's definitely some latitude in terms of, you know, there's a sweet spot. And I, I guess when I say sweet spot, I feel like that's what kind of carves out and that really defines me as a DJ and as a brand, but like, I love a lot of other stuff that's really close. Like that's the nucleus, but then there's the other stuff kind of floating around it. Like I said, deep house and techno, that's yes. just like techno, techno, just hardcore. Right. But you are adaptable to some extent. Yes. I, I can sense that. And that's an important part. Yeah, it is. It is. You can't just, I went to a club last week in the city and the DJ was just in his little bubble. And he'd get people dancing and then he'd shift gears and then they would just stand there and he like changed the tempo. He changed the genre. And it's just like, dude, you have to look up and look around and make sure that people yeah. are like... Connect. Yeah, you're connecting with people. So you can't lose sight of that. That's very true. That's very true. I actually saw Paris Hilton recently in LA and she was better than I thought she'd be. She was very engaged with the audience. And I think that that's a big portion of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Tell me about women, because you you did say to me in our preparation for this recording that your ultimate goal is to inspire, particularly women, to take what's theirs. And I felt that and that resonated. So tell me exactly what you mean by that. Do you think women tend to not take what's theirs, and especially in the space you're in professionally? Well, absolutely in this space. But I do feel like, unfortunately, not often enough women don't speak up for themselves. They don't advocate for themselves. They're givers and it's not easy to say no and it's not easy to accept and to receive. I'm lucky, I guess, that I'm courageous and I'm kind of grounded and rooted. I believe in myself and I just want to encourage other women or inspire other women. If they're happy where they are, that's like fantastic. But if there's something that's kind of nagging at them in the back of their head, whether it's their career or their lifestyle, their love life, whatever it is, I just want them to know that life is too short. It's too precious and you don't have to settle. And I've actually had visions of, you know, when I was here during COVID and I was putting a mix together, I was just imagine like an audience of women and just 
wanting to have a dialogue with them and just uplift them and bring them hope. Yeah. I mean, the courage has to come from within, but to just say, look, you, you can do this, you know, and I have women come to me often now and say, gosh, I'm really, I'm wanting to make a switch. I'm not quite sure how to do this. It's scary. And I'm, and I, so I try to kind of take their hand literally and figuratively and just kind of guide them. And I love that. I just feel like that is a calling. You know, I really do want to help not just women, but I, I see that I could be useful in that way and that women respond to me and they respect me. And I also, you know, I do some marketing consulting still on the side, but it's generally, and it's not exclusively, and it's not that I'm not considering any other business, but it just, I tend again to gravitate toward women-owned businesses, just kind of help them think out of the box. They want to take their, their business to the next level. So I really try to help them with, you know, different distribution idea, you know, whatever. So I do, I do try to support women in a lot of different ways and, and not for nothing up here in Rockland. So I have a lot of gigs in the city and in Brooklyn. When I do gigs up here, it's not exclusively, but primarily been women-owned businesses. And it's just been amazing. Like the support yeah. that I feel up here. Cause it wasn't always like that in the advertising business. <laughs> Good for you. Listen, I applaud that. I think you're using all of these different phases of your evolution and sharing what you've learned and advocating. I think that that is what professional purpose is all about. So you've you've hit it, lady. Well done. I do want to make sure we send listeners to follow you. So where is the best place to go to stay up to date? Sure. So Instagram, I post all my gigs on there and that would be at DJ Morgana underscore jams, J-A-M-S. Also, I post all of my events on my website, which is djmorgana.com. You can also find me on Facebook at dj.morgana.5 and also on SoundCloud. And do you sometimes have little clips? Yes, yes. I have I have mixes on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and then I will also have mixes on my website not too far down the road. So... But in just in terms of catching my gigs and trying to figure out, you know, where I am next, yeah, either Instagram, Facebook, or, or my website generally. Perfect. We know exactly where to find you. Morgana, I'm so glad that our paths crossed and we got to do this. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Krista. This has been lovely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Such a great episode, right? I really connected with Morgana and I do feel like I have connections with every one of my guests, but sometimes it really clicks. And, you know, all the celebrity career pivot stories that we've been posting on my Instagram have been very popular. People love it. They love seeing, for instance, a very popular one was Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who had two pivots before he became a successful actor. He was actually a linebacker for a Canadian football league and then joined the World Wrestling Federation for a bit before he found his calling. But I will tell you that my favorite stories are people just like you and me who started out doing something they felt they were supposed to do, they felt they were right for skill set wise. It wasn't really working and they just made that change that unlocked their authenticity. I love that. We're going to have a new episode for you on Thursday here on Bucketless Careers. Thanks as always for being with me. Be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.